Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. And oh my gosh, Kelly, this is our final episode of season three. Really? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know we're going to take a summer break. So we'll probably have some bonus content that comes out over the summer, but we could not be ending the season on a higher note. Um, Kelly, I know joins me in my excitement for our guest today, who is Nikkei Anani. Um, and Nikkei is setting a new doing good business record. Our previous guests from furthest away from us in the East Coast US was a guest from Australia. And Nikkei is actually joining us for now from Nigeria. So Nikkei, thank you so much for being here. Share with our guests a little bit about you, who you are, and the work that you do in this world. Thank you so much, Lara and Kelly. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Um, who am I? I'm Nikkei Anani. I'm a second generation business owner. I'm a consultant, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and just trying to live through this pandemic. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> um, so the work that I do is I work with family businesses. I call myself a succession specialist, mm. helping family businesses to cross the generational line, essentially so that... They, their businesses outlive the founders and can be passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, being a source of wealth to the family, um, a source of employment for the employees and their families, and being a bedrock of local communities. Family business is like my life obsession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like I alluded to, I'm also a business owner. My parents started off our family business the year I was born. So wow. family business is really my life story. And it's, I, I really believe that family businesses have been overlooked all over the world, mm-hmm. but are so critical, both from an economic and from a social perspective. Hmm. I love that. I just got an image of your family business being like a sibling for you when you were growing up, because I know so <laughs> many of us business owners are like, oh, it's like my baby, it's my business. And you grew up with this business. For sure. It was a sibling that got all the attention, all the the money. (laughs) Good luck to you. Yeah, particularly dad's attention. Um, Mum was was really behind the scenes, um, but my dad was really driving the business. And so when I was nine, my mum, my brothers and I, we moved to the UK, as you can probably hear with my very strong British accent. Yes. (laughs) And my dad stayed back in Nigeria growing the business and he just went bananas, like working around the clock. Mm. And I then came back to Nigeria um, at age 20, 26, I was. Um, so having been out of the country for like a good 16 years. Wow. 
and started working with dad. And I was like, oh, so this is the business you've been building. Ooh, mm. This is interesting. <laughs> and that started my, my hands-on exposure to the world of family business. And that was 10 years ago. And I just thoroughly fell in love with businesses. Wow. So it was like an estranged sibling for a while. And now y'all are like really having a tight relationship. <laughs> you know it. Like we were like separated for some time and now we're like reunited. And, like... and it feels so good. Okay. <laughs> and it feels so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that imagery. Thank you for playing along. <laughs> so one of the things, Nikkei, that, um, you know, that caught our eye when we were learning about your work was you talk about next gens. And mm-hmm. can you really define that? You know, what is a next gen, you know, how do you work with next gens in, in your world? So a next gen really is just the next generation or the rising generation um, by that successors. Um, the, so the founders, like my father, established the businesses and, you know, after a generation, once they're looking to retire, then they start thinking, hmm, who's next? Who's going to take over um, from a leadership of the business and also who's going to inherit from an ownership perspective. And those folks are the next gens, typically their children. Sometimes not. Sometimes next gen leaders are non-family staff um, who Mm -hmm. take over as CEOs and senior management and board members and things. And, you know, I started doing a lot of work with next gens because I am one and my heart, you know, I have deep empathy for that market. A lot of the time, the business world does not identify them or address them because they're not the ones with the check or the power. Mm -hmm. But I really believe that they are critical. They're powerful now and they will be even more powerful in the future. As you know, we talk about in the industry, this, the largest wealth transfer is about is happening right now between 20 to $90 trillion is passing hands between the former generation and the next generation. Really? And, wow. Yep. And, and that was many, trillion with a T. T. Mm-hmm. I'd love wow. some of that T. Oh my gosh, Nikki, that's an amazing <laughs> stat. Yeah, we'll take Kelly and I'll take a half of that. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And wow. a lot of that generational wealth transfers in the from family businesses, right? Huh. And so literally next gens are the future. And, but it takes preparation to get them to be at the point of being able to lead their businesses into the future, as well as, um, and or being future wealth owners. I mean, our world calls for, our world is laden with social problems, isn't mm. it? Mm. Um, Understatement. Global, <laughs> yeah, global pandemic, yeah. gender issues, mm-hmm. racial issues, mm-hmm. urban rural divides, mm-hmm. economic inequities, and I really believe that this hour calls for um, private sector to rise to the challenge to use capital to solve social issues. Wow! And yes, please. Yes, mm-hmm. and I, I think. You don't just emerge overnight as a leader. You practice your leadership. Um, you don't emerge as a visionary. You practice it with time. And so it's not at the point where, you know, unfortunately, your parents pass away that you then start having great ideas and grand ideas as to what to do with this great wealth or this business. Um, I think you need to practice it. It's like riding a bicycle, isn't it? Um mm during the lifetime of your parents, even collaborating with your parents, influencing and persuading 
decision-making, strategic decision-making, or wealth decision-making, and business decision-making. Um, so those are next-gen's really successes. Um, the, the next generation of owners of businesses and wealth or and or leaders or family businesses. Thank you for that. This is Kelly. And I kind of, I had a question in mind earlier, and then I'm, I'm I think I'm going to fuse it with something based on what you were talking about there is because I think you're, you're touching on some of this, but I'd love to just explore it a little bit deeper mm-hmm. if we can. This idea that you had mentioned that you feel that the family owned businesses are going to come into more prominence, my words, not yours, right? Mm-hmm. I forget exactly how you describe that. And I've always had a sense, right? Like my my own feeling is that family businesses have an inherently deeper sense of sense of purpose, yes. because right there's something there's a true desire to pass something on to a next generation, which I think distinguishes it from the CEOs who can walk away if it doesn't work out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, what is it that you feel then is going to bring the family owned business into? Um, into uh, not the spotlight, you know, but uh, into being recognized in the, in ways that they could be. What's driving all of that? Sorry for the long question. <laughs> no, it's it's it's. I get it, and um, it's a great question. I think we're back to the hour that we're in as a world that is laden with social and economic problems, and mm-hmm. we're seeing a rise of conscious capitalism. Mm-hmm. Capitalism that's not about just profit maximization, financial returns maximization, but really, okay, are we pulling up those that have been left behind along with us on this journey? This isn't right. about just, you know, quarterly earnings, maximizing shareholders, um, you know, returns, mm-hmm. but really thinking wider about your wider stakeholders, mm-hmm. how we're starting to see that millennials and Gen Zs shine a light on okay, your value chain, do you have sex workers or slave workers somewhere in Malaysia or China or India? How ethical are you? And when we really think about it, this deep sense of responsibility and purpose towards people, profits, planet, Mm -hmm. um, this sense of responsibility, I believe family businesses have been carrying this at their very hearts for the longest time because of it's really about, we're back to business is about people, business is about connections. It's about humanity, serving humanity, adding value to humanity. And then profit is a byproduct of that value. And I think corporate 21st century, um, the corporate world has kind of um, it's, it's we've, we've become so obsessed with just a profit money-making machine and we've left out people, planet, um, out of the conversation. And But family businesses never did. They were always conscious capitalists. They were always thinking about community. Um, they always cared about qualitative um, indicators, just as much as they cared about quantitative for a family business, reputation is critical. Mm-hmm. Managing relationships is critical. Um, the role in community. Um, typically, you'll find that in family businesses, employees are treated like family members. Decisions aren't just, you know, for instance, we've had instances in our family business where we could, for instance, use a piece of machinery that would displace many workers, but we choose not to. Mm -hmm. 
it might make financial sense to do so, but it doesn't make social sense to do so. Absolutely. I love this broader perspective. And I think as a family too, your family is your family, right? And so there's an inherent inclusiveness to that, that might even give them um, a better aptitude or inclination toward being inclusive and, and, and not being so polarizing or just say, okay, you don't agree with me. So you're out of the family. Like, you know, that doesn't really happen as often as it might happen in a, um, in a non-family owned business. Thank you, Mikay. That was, that's wonderful. And you're definitely speaking our language. I was going to say, I was like, people profit, mm -hmm. people planet Mm -hmm. profit, right? It's all, yeah. And it's also, sorry, I forgot one thing. Um, Family businesses tend to have a very long-term view. Huh. Yes, yes. They're not plagued by this short-termism. Mm-hmm. And so decisions, you know, have a legacy effect. That's so interesting. So Nikki, now I'm really curious. Because, so most of my clients, so I do uh, leadership coaching by day and podcasting by night. <laughs> um, but, so most of my clients are not in family and businesses. They're in, you know, larger companies or, you know, the companies that they started, but are not family owned, or they don't maybe have a next gen plan. And so much of the conversation is helping them shift out of that short sighted decision and that short-sighted view into the long-term. So are you, is it different in family businesses? So I would probably say a lot of your clients are family businesses. Um, mm -hmm. So the definition is a bit, there's no scientific definition, but it's really (laughs) a business where either the business is controlled majority by family members or owned majority by family members. So closely held businesses are typically family businesses. But you're right in saying that a lot of business owners don't think about, okay, I want to pass this on to my children and they pass it on to the grandchildren and so on and so forth. So really it's, it's, Sorry, what was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that definitely really helped. No, but that really (laughs) helped to to understand because you're right. Like there's definitely a family business component. But do you find that um, leaders and owners of family businesses tend to be more focused on the long term from the get go? Because I my experience has been that a lot of people in like corporate, you know what I mean? So like I'm a leader in a big company. they tend to be more short-sighted and a lot of times we have mm-hmm. to kind of work towards what is the longer term view? How do you make decisions based on that instead of, you know, the decision like you gave the example of, we're not going to buy this equipment because mm-hmm. it will displace people. So do you find that family business leaders are more long-term in their thinking? Definitely. They are, they huh. tend to be more long-term in their thinking and there's an element of working in the business and working on the business and you know, it takes a whole different dimension in a family business context because now when you're working on your family business, you're typically working on your family, mm, right. um, a coming together of a family as to what's our shared values, shared vision, shared purpose, where's this whole thing heading? And nothing happens by accident, right? Um, mm. We all need to set our GPS when we get into our cars so we can get to a destination. And similarly, transitions, um, generational transitions of businesses and wealth typically don't happen by by osmosis. They, they take careful consideration and planning. And it's usually a coming together of the family in where are we heading? What is this all for? Why are we together? What's the compelling reason for us to stay together in business or investing together and implementing that? Amazing. 
I love to learn and I just learned something really big. And I'm just thinking like what family businesses and family business owners and leaders can actually teach leaders in larger companies. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, you're exactly right. It's that working in your business versus working on your business. It's, you know, doing the work for somebody on your team versus teaching them to do the work so that you Mm -hmm. can make that legacy. Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. So I know, Nikki, that you've lived in a lot of places. You know, you are currently <laughs> in Nigeria. You were educated and lived for a long time in the UK. You shared before we recorded that you're actually moving to Texas in, in the next few months. I am. Yay! <laughs> I'm curious about, you know, how did you make the decision to return to Nigeria to be a part of the family business? Like, how did you get to this place in your work? How did you really wake up and recognize that this is the work that you wanted to do in the world? Hmm. That's a really good question. So I started my career in the joys of accounting. Um, I was working in Deloitte. I was a chartered accountant, the equivalent of CPA in the Mm -hmm. UK. And I honestly felt like I was sticking needles in my eyeballs. Glad it's not just me. (laughs) I always say I have the Excel skills of a fifth grader. So (laughs) I was okay at it. It was just, I just found it so boring. I loved my colleagues. I loved the learning environment. Deloitte was so awesome. I loved the culture of the firm, but it was literally just like doing the work part was Mm -hmm. like, really though, is this really life? (laughs) And I remember my dad calling me from Nigeria and we would we would talk a lot, I'd catch up on what's he doing in the business and things. And he asked me, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, and I was like, dad, I honestly don't know, but not here. I'm really uninspired. I'm unfulfilled, but I don't know what I want from life. And in his words, he was like, you need to come out into the real business world and stop being in an office and come to Nigeria. Maybe if you come home and I introduce you to a few business owners and you get exposed to different industries, you'll be inspired. And the plan was to go back to do, to business school and to come back to the UK because I had a, a boyfriend at the time. I had a, a house at the time. I had a whole life. I'd been in the UK for 16 years. So mm-hmm. never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would literally, you know, um, relocate to, to Nigeria. So I was supposed to be here for th- three months and it's been 10 and a half years. <laughs> you, what is that phrase? Like we make plans and the universe laughs. <laughs> yeah. Very like roaring laughter. Um, <laughs> I got to Nigeria and I fell in love with Nigeria in a way that I never had been in. Um, I love the entrepreneurial culture. I love the electricity. I felt like um, I felt free as a woman. I felt mm-hmm. like, there was less of a glass ceiling than in the city of London. And then I loved the agency and autonomy I had working with my dad in the family business. I, he had been doing a lot of investing as well, aside from running a construction company. um, He'd invested in lots of different projects and, but he didn't have much of a structure to manage that. So I set up an investment office, hired staff and led that team and still do to now, even though a bit more on a skeletal basis. And so that was my journey into the family business world. It really wasn't planned. It was mm. very, very, um, really just 
fate, I believe, but it was a a great match of what I needed from my career, the skills I had to offer and what really inspired me, what lit me up. And that was, you know, like coming back to Nigeria and seeing just how important entrepreneurship is in changing the economic story Mm. because we have a lot of poverty. And I saw firsthand just how important businesses are in ensuring that employees have food on the table and their families have security, the roles they play in communities. And then I loved working with my dad, which was really great fun. I loved um, the informality of working in a family business, the flexibility, but the huge sense of responsibility and agency. And that was it. I was glued. And I just then started to think about, okay, it'd be amazing if our family business would continue for generations and it shouldn't stop at that. Um, I would love for it to, for the next generation, even if I'm not running it, we're still involved and it to be passed down to even my children. Mm. And that's when I started reading up on family businesses, became super obsessed became certified as an advisor, started, you know, helping my family with legacy planning and then started helping other families with legacy planning. That's wonderful. It really, I mean, and it sounds like maybe there, there was a plan all along, just didn't know about it, right? Like it's all sounds like it's unfolding in exactly the right way. And I think this is wonderful work that you're doing. I, before the show, I was um, reading a little bit about you, and I see where you've mentioned that communication, collaboration, and collectively gaining clarity to increase profit mm-hmm. and productivity in, in family businesses is part of what you do. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and any types of um, frameworks, methodologies, or things that you might use to help achieve those things, because I think they happen in certainly in the the family-owned business and the non-family-owned businesses where those things are all vitally important to the overall Mm -hmm. success of the company, right? Communication, collaboration, collective impact, you know, all of that kind of good Mm -hmm. stuff. What are some of the things that you use that really are very helpful in that, in that respect? Yes. um, I often say the three C's, clarity, communication, and collaboration are the success factors for Mm -hmm. family businesses. I really think it's important because quite often what we see is between different generations, there's generations, there's often distance, disconnect, Mm. dysfunction. (laughs) Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed, (laughs) right? Who would have guessed? And so really, um, I just... I'm just a facilitator to hold space for families Mm -hmm. to come together and gain clarity as to what is all this for and why are we together. And I have a concept called past, present, future, meaning our pasts have led us to where we are today. And it's important to understand history. Yes. To know where we are today. Our present, you know, we need to work on the present to guide the future, but we need a vision of the future to know in which direction we're driving towards. So my my a lot of my work is really our past, what's our shared history, mm-hmm. what's our, our present, what's our shared purpose, and our future, what's our shared vision. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's 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 not a 90 day program or a 12 steps and right. <laughs> <laughs> it takes careful rumination collectively. Mm-hmm. And what tends to happen is the family, the process of 
coming together as a family is more important than the outcome. It's more important than um, the deliverable, that great glossy reports that the consultant writes. The process of starting to have conversations is what's the meaning of this wealth? What are our values? What do we want to be known for? Strategically, what should we be thinking about is more important because typically what happens, you'd never guess, is we have suppressed family issues. What? What? (laughs) Who ever knew that? (laughs) And it ends up being, sometimes it ends up being a bit of a, a, a therapy session. I was just thinking that you're like the therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Therapist, behavior. But sometimes those are the obstacles, right? And they're that, they're, sure. that is the elephant in the room, the unspoken, right? There's something at the center of the table and it can't really be easily identified. And people are scratching their heads as to why isn't this strategy working? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think we, we said this recently, Laura, sometimes it's not the machine, it's the operator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it, it is worthwhile to, you know, explore that a little bit more. The strategy could be great, but if it's not, if there's something else that's holding it back, that's got to kind of come to the surface. So that's mm-hmm. uh, admirable that you take that on in your work. Yes. Um, what you said is just so apt. And I saw on Instagram, can't remember who wrote it, but he said something like business is not about economics. Business is about psychology. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's mm-hmm. it. And definitely family business. Right. Yeah. Decision making isn't rational, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so it's really about behavioral and developing deep empathy for one another, Mm -hmm. each generation being able to understand the perspective, the priority, um, the lens through which the other generation sees things Mm -hmm. and being able to allow them to be seen and heard so they can see and hear you. Um, Quite often, like you were alluding to, there's a focus on the strategy or the tactics we need to be doing, the things we need to be doing as opposed to right. the being. Yes. Mm-hmm. The things we need to be feeling. Right? The things we need to be feeling. Right. Holding, holding space for other people to right. be. And just being guides so that they have their aha moments as to how they could do things differently or you know, how they they see their businesses and their wealth, if I'm making any sense. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think it's fundamentally important. Like it's a bit of a paradigm shift. You mentioned the consultant's report, right? And and that is helpful, right? And, and could be directional. But at the end of the day, it's people who commit to what they help create. And mm-hmm. so when they're designing that with, with the guides and the insight, right, it's, I think it's so much more effective. I've seen that in my own work than it is to come in and say, hey, here's what this is and this is how you should do it, right? Because we're all so unique that, that, that there's so many variations of that. And there are things that maybe aren't in that report that somebody else, if asked, right, could, could contribute to make that bake that pie even higher since we're on analogy day, let's bake the pie even higher. Right. And, (laughs) um, you know, and I just think there's a richness to all of that, that when people can communicate and collaborate and and gain that clarity, they're going Mm. to go a lot further in their success. However, they define that. Completely agree. Nikki, I'm guessing you wear a lot of hats, right? You know, I mentioned therapists, you had mentioned, (laughs) you know, behavioral scientists, like, 
how do you navigate that human side? Because, you know, to yours and Kelly's point, it is about so much more than strategy. Um, and I think about, you know, Esther Perel, who is a very famous marriage and family therapist, is now, as many famous people from the world of psychology, is crossing over into corporate. Um, and she actually has a new podcast where she meets with business owners and in a therapy session and helps them figure it out, which I imagine is wow. not too dissimilar from the work that you do a lot of no. the time. So tell me a little bit about, you know, I'm endlessly fascinated by humans. How do you navigate that human side of things when you are supporting some next gens in in being a uh, a change creator? I think the beauty of it is that I have inside experience mm. as a family business insider, so I know um, the the common typical behavioral challenges that may. Um, become apparent in family businesses. Honestly, when I first moved back to Nigeria, I was the I was the person that thought it was all about the strategy and the tactics. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I had a laundry list for my father as to all the things that needed to change. And I was the greatest critic. And it took me many years to realize that I wasn't successful in truly persuading and influencing him. Because in my mind, I was so frustrated it's completely irrational right. the decisions that are being made. Of course, we need to go in this direction or we need to professionalize or institutionalize. Of course, we need to do this. And, but what I didn't realize that it was all about psychology. So I think a lot of my personal experience has really added richness to the work that I do with other families and that I learned how to navigate my inner leadership and my human side of things. And I learned how personally went on a journey of how to be more influential and be more persuasive with my father, um, both on my own and with my brothers as well. Um, That's another conversation. (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) The siblings partnership is so important. Forming a common voice and coming together really helps in gaining more influence um, with the founding generation. Um, Yeah, so that's really helped me with the human side of things. And then, like I mentioned, I um, got my qualification from Family Firm Institute. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a culmination of like wealth planning, business entrepreneurship and psychology behavioral, which has given me really great insight into how to navigate the human side of things. Well, thank you for saying that it has to start with you. You know, I think personal leadership is like the biggest predictor in how successful you can be leading any team or organization. If you can't do your own work, you can't help people get to where you want to get them to. So thank you for that. Yeah. So what are you, okay, maybe this isn't in the excited category, but I know you're moving in a few months, but what are you (laughs) excited about? What's bringing you hope right now? I know you also have a podcast, so tell us about some of those things. Yeah, I'm super excited that um, we have vaccines in the world. (laughs) The world seems to be opening. (laughs) I I got my one shot a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, it was a relief. I actually cried when I Uh got home. Just like, oh my God, it's been like the hardest year. This Mm -hmm. last 
14 months has been so difficult and I'm just so relieved that we can see the end in sight mm. and we can have physical meetings and see humans. I love connections. <laughs> mm. um, and while Zoom is really fabulous and I've been thoroughly enriched by amazing people who I've met virtually, I'd really like to meet people and have a hug and a handshake yes. and yes. go for a coffee and a nice lunch, you know, the normal things. So mm. I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited about my move to the US. I'm so excited. A new fresh beginning for our family um, with our little bambinos. And um, it'll be a new chapter, um, which is quite exciting. And like you mentioned, I'm a podcast host myself. My podcast is called The Connected Generation, and we explore all things family business and navigating life transition, succession planning, and just personal leadership there's a lot of that Mm. on there Mm -hmm. amazing so we will definitely link to that in our show notes and and where else can folks find you what's the best place on the interwebs for uh, people to learn more about you on my website www.nikeanani.com that's n-i-k-e-a-n-a-n-i.com and there's a lot of stuff on there and my email is also there if you want to get in touch amazing Nikke thank you so so much I just this was amazing. I learned, we laughed, we had meaningful connection, <laughs> even though it was over Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I can't imagine having a better way to wind out our third season. Um, just thank you so much for being here. And we yes. greatly appreciate Thank you. you. Thank um, you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.